my wife, Sue. If you don't know these ladies, Suzanne, Susanna, or Sue, you can go right in the middle. We want you in the, the seat, of, seat of honor. We are going to do, uh, continue our, our series this morning on identity on the 40 days of purpose. We've been in a series where we've been going through the realities of what is it to ask the question of what's my purpose? And today, the question is specifically, who am I? We've started with concepts like, um, what's the meaning of life? Uh, what is freedom? And now we're transitioning to, to specifically identity. And there's not a, another singular topic in society other than identity that I think gets at the heart of how culture pulls us one way and how the way of the kingdom pulls us a different way. And so Suzanne is, how long have you been a professional therapist, Suzanne? 23 years. 23 years. Mm -hmm. So yeah. she's been, since she was about 12, she's been a therapist now. Uh, I, I always get my stuff, you know, I start to eat crow when I'm like asking how long someone's done something. She looked at me like, you just asked me how long I've been doing that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, wasn't in my notes. So there we go. Um, and, and we want to start with, with a couple questions. But first, um, Sue and I want to kind of lay a little bit of framework for how we get into the topic of identity. And why don't you start with that scripture that we had pop up there, babe. And I'm going to get my computer. Yep. So if you're following along on your phone and or your Bible, you happen to bring that. We are in reading from John. It's John 10. And we're reading about the Good Shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves and the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah, so the, the three-pronged focus of this series has been that the church and the people that follow Jesus have a real simple uh, focus, and that is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Uh, be with Jesus is worship, become like him is discipleship, and do what he did is the focus of mission. And so we're transitioning from the concept of, of worship and being with him into the identity element of the formation process. Becoming a disciple is really about discovering the fullness of your identity. And, and Jesus ultimately gives us this identity of, of being, being like him, being in Christ. And at the same time, he keeps giving us throughout scripture these images. And the sheep image is one that you know, we actually should be offended at. Sheep are the stupidest animals on earth. And every time uh, I, I think of a sheep now, after listening to a, a, a wonderful Israeli man tell us about it in Israel, I go, oh, it's like God's, God's divine hilarity, to quote our prayer earlier, is that he continually, by calling himself shepherd and us sheep, is reminding us of, of how smart we are. And they are the stupidest animals on earth. They cannot care for themselves. Uh, they, they, they can get very confused uh, by voices. 
by what's threatening and what's not threatening. And, and Jesus comes in, and he, and he says a few things. Ultimately, what, we do, what we're doing each week is we're replacing lies with truth. And what Jesus starts with is that the voice is key. Discern the thief and the good shepherd. And then he goes on and says, knowing your name is a big deal. I know your name, and you've been named. He names you. He gives you an identity. That word yada we talked about a couple months ago uh, literally is the concept throughout Scripture of how God wants to know us intimately. And then good shepherding is about ownership. He says the, 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 the person that's not, that doesn't own you, that, that hired hand, he has no skin in the game. He's going to run when danger comes. But the good shepherd, he's got ownership, and therefore he's willing to lay his life down for you. That's what good leadership looks like, what good shepherding looks like. You've got ownership. And so part of us in the world is us taking ownership. And, and what Jesus starts with is I start and lead by example. I lead by sacrifice. I lay my life down. And then there are these series of I am statements. It's not just here in this passage, but it's throughout this pa- these uh, chapters starting in John 6. There are seven I am statements that Jesus goes through. We're not going to do a full teaching on that today. I just want you to be aware of those I am statements because we're going to touch on that as we close. They're a big deal. Um, So transitioning to Suzanne, why don't you just um, uh, give us a little bit of of your heart for uh, the merging the the spiritual, your your spiritual life, and then being a professional therapist. And then Sue's going to start with the next question. But just give us a little bit of just how your process has been in just being a believer, a follower of Jesus, and then being a therapist, and just how you navigate those two realities. I know I've thrown you off. Wow. That's a huge question. Um, Not prepared. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I went to Fuller Seminary to study psychology, so we had to take a year of theology with that. I came this close to getting a master's in theology. Darn it, one of my regrets, I didn't finish that one. But um, I love the integration of psychology and spirituality. They're, they're not opposites. I don't believe in um, a dialectic between those two. I think that God has given us, well, in the Hebrew, we're a whole person, so they always say mind, body, soul, and spirit. They always list all the things. Um, psyche is actually a Greek word, so that's kind of a Western culture idea to start psychology as a separate thing. Um, but I love how our mind is made by God. The more you understand its complexity and all the different parts, it's, it's phenomenal that God, sheep are stupid, but that's a metaphor. Like, we are actually extremely intelligent. We, like, we have the intelligence of God in us. We have the spirit of God allowing us to think higher thoughts than any other animal, which is what sets human beings apart. Um, So we have the ability to be self-reflective. We have the ability to know God, which is amazing. Like, if you've ever looked at an anthill, do you think one of those little ants has any capability of understanding that you're standing there watching over them? No, they have no idea that you're there. Um, But he allows us, our little ant brain, like, to understand ourselves and that he's there, which is amazing. Um, but then the psyche, like, like, the, like the body, it also gets broken. Uh, it gets split and broken into different parts when we kind of fall in, in birth into a broken world. And so then the study of psychology is both the different ways that people get broken. Like the DSM is a, is a book of pathology. You know, it's like a medical book of listing all these different diseases, things that can go wrong with people. There's some really crazy ways that can go wrong with people. Um, <laughs> 
But then it's also about healing and trying to put those put those things back together again. So in a way, psychology is like the is like a microscopic study of brokenness and trying to put people together in their mind, the way doctors try to put people's bodies back together and pastors try to put people's soul back together and uh, and mediators try to bring broken families together and uh, international peace mediators try to bring countries together and architects build bridges to join countries and neighborhoods and there's all kinds of professions that reflect uh, bringing things together. You were going to ask her about identity. Why don't we start yeah. with that one, babe? So our main question today, which we're going to kind of go into littler parts of, is who am I and how do I define my authentic self? So everything is going to go back to that, that we tap into. But I'd love you to speak on, Suzanne, because you've observed the psychological world as well as the church world and how you see those two different worlds identifying the concept of identity or really defining the concept of identity and then even so much into how race, how family, how culture impacts the transformation process of one's own identity within that. Big question. Yeah, huge question. <laughs> you guys have three hours. Um, yes. Yes. Let's see. So um, what was the question? Okay. Talk about the, the difference, difference of psychology between and the psychology church. and the church. How we oh, define yeah, yeah, yeah. identity. Okay, okay. Three-minute history of psychology. So, um, in the last 140 years, Freud is typically described as the grandfather of psychology, even though I don't believe he is. In Western culture, he is. In other cultures, they they do try to understand human beings, but through religion, through philosophy, through poetry, through different methodologies, but not so much the individual psyche, because we're a very individualistic country. But um, So there's been an evolution of thought over the last 140 years from a mechanistic, like you're a brain, almost like fluid dynamics, like what goes in, what goes out, there's energy, there's information, there's electrical impulses that we are, we are the functioning of our brain. Originally, psychology came from neurology. And then, and then he's like, no, we're kind of a little more than machines, we're more like animals. Um, <laughs> And so then it was about instincts. He started with the life instinct and the death instinct at war in us, which is interesting because he's not a believer. But on some level, that's true, that there is life and death at war in us. And then he moved that to more like a sexual instinct and an aggressive instinct, which is going toward people and going against people. And then that sounded to, um, and so that, that animal, that child, has to be civilized. It has to be tamed and domesticated so that we don't go around just having sex with everything and killing everything, right? So we have to learn good manners. Uh, and then his daughter came along and described different defenses that people have from being hurt and traumatized. And then other people said, no, people are just babies. They're just babies walking around in grown-up skins. And so there was all these people studying babies and like people are good breast or a bad breast and we throw tantrums and we poop on things and there was lots of baby language. Um, <laughs> And they're like, no, actually, babies do grow up. So then there was some developmental theory about different stages of life and how you go from baby to toddler and what are the different tasks. And if you successfully um, complete these tasks, you kind of get to graduate to the next level of development. So there's some developmental theories. And then there was people that really specialized in certain aspects of psychology, like people that were experts in schizoid, which is like the part of us that wants to withdraw from engagement and withdraw from the world and be inside of ourself. And narcissistic studies about how we kind of are selfish or grandiose or think 
think too highly of ourselves or do or don't get our self-needs met successfully in order to develop. We're all schizoid, we're all narcissistic, we're all a little bit, take the psychological pie, we're all a little bit of everything, right? Um, and, but lately, the, the, with the new research in attachment theory, which is that people need other people from, from birth to death, um, and, and observation of infants, there's a really good book called The Interpersonal World of the Infant, where as soon as babies are born, they are relational beings. They are not just blank slates that you're impressing upon. They are relational beings. You guys know that? Sprancy's right there. Yeah. Um, so then there was a lot more like relational language and then talking about relational techniques about how people are phobic or avoidant or obsessive. And now there's kind of lately is like the self is um, dissociative, which means in little parts, which means we have a multiplicity of selves. We have our angry self and our sad self and our sexual self and our bad self and our good self. And we say things like good me, bad me, not me. That I, I wasn't like myself yesterday or... Um, so we have different aspects of ourself that then mental illness would be when those parts of ourself aren't in harmony or don't communicate with each other mm -hmm. into the extreme where people have multiple personalities. Actually, you can have like even male and female personalities. You can have different voices. You can have different blood types. You can have different body chemistry. Yeah, it's weird like how people can dissociate themselves to the healthy person that has different self-states that are all working together. So in scripture, when it talks about the talks about the body being whole, it's talking about the church, but it's, you could also read it on an individual level as like, there's a body of people inside of our head. It's called internal family systems or object relations where we have a lot of different parts going on in our head. And the goal would be integration. So that not to eliminate any of them, in God's economy, he put to death our bad self. There's only a good self. Um, and he wants to unite those all in good working order. So in a society, a society can be judged by how it takes care of its least members, its most vulnerable members, the children, the elderly, the disabled. We could also say a church could be judged on how we take care of our most vulnerable members. And in our mind, how do we take care of our most vulnerable members, like the parts of us that don't believe or the parts of us that sin or the parts of us that struggle with, you know, trusting or whatever. So... Um, Lost my train of thought here. But so. Follow up question related yeah. to that. Am I going to throw you off? Okay. So you started clarifying this because it was going to be my follow up. If you were yeah. just going to whittle down what you've observed, yeah. the church says this is your identity. You yeah. started towards that vein, right? Yeah. Where it's like you're a child of God, right? Yeah. You're a new creation. You, your, your old self, your flesh is dead. You're now new mm. and alive in Christ. Yeah. Now, if that's the, that's the definition of identity from, from the church or from scripture, how would you weigh that up against all this history and research and, and common, the commoner's viewpoint of identity that you see in your therapy and so forth? Can you say that again? Sorry, I was so, thinking so while you were... So if Jesus is defining says, identity yes. in the church like uh -huh. this, how we just described, then how, how does that weigh up against all the research and then the practical lived out, like when you see people come in, what they look at identity, who am I? How are they differentiating from that, even Christians, when they go into therapy? I think the goal is integration, and so all healing, 
all integrating has to be a gift from God, whether you're a believer in God or not. You know, there's a general spirit of God over all of humanity that gives people life and gives people healing. We all have immune systems that heal our body, whether you're a believer or not. We all have things in our mind that will heal us, whether you're a believer or not. Um, so whether someone is a believer, like, okay, one example is um, there's a guy that comes into my office that's been married a while, a little bit bored in his marriage, is flirting with this lady at work and thinking about leaving his wife. Um, later, Zoom, end of therapy, he's not a believer, by the way. At the end of therapy, he decides to stay with his wife. And then in the conclusion, I ask him, what, like, what was your turning point in making this decision that you're going to stay with your wife? He said, I asked him, what kind of person did he want to be? So it wasn't just like, well, which one do you think is a better fit for you? Or which one do you think is going to make you happier? Which is kind of some more modern psychology is like, just go with what makes you happy. But aspirational, he, he wanted to be a man that keeps his word and keeps his promises and didn't want to bail on his wife just because he was bored and kind of interested in this other woman. Mm -hmm. So appealing to his higher self, maybe in the sense that God's, uh, God has written now on all humanity, his mm -hmm. conscience, his, mm -hmm. his word is written on our heart, it says in Hebrews, even if they don't know him, there, there was his conscience saying, I want to be a better man. Yeah. Um, so I didn't appeal to God in that situation. Right. But so another situation, a man coming in now is not a believer, constantly talks to me about his dreams um, more than reality because his dreams are persecutory and nightmares. And he's always being some shadow figure, some head getting chopped off, some courtroom where he's being condemned, some thing of torture, some cage over his head. Some really, really dark spirits in his dreams. What's um, his spiritual life? Like, is he, what's his He's an atheist. He's an atheist. Okay. So then in talking about, I remember Jared's sermon on heaven is like a courtroom, and you've got a condemner and you've got an, an advocate. And I said, so the, what are you being accused of? Are you guilty? Are you innocent? Like, is anybody there uh, advocating for you? Is anybody supporting you? Like, what's the outcome of this? Are you going to be guilty? He goes, I'm, I'm definitely going to be guilty. There's nobody there on my side. So, um, it's a deep dream. Yeah. So I said to him, well, are you a lucid dreamer? Like, do you have control over your dreams? Can you make your dreams go a certain way? He goes, yeah, I can influence my dreams. So next time you're in a situation where you're being chased or killed or accused, why don't you just try saying, this is kind of a, don't tell the state of California this, because um, my license is a secular license. Yes. My license is under the Board of Behavioral Sciences, so we're not allowed to proselytize. Uh, so we're not allowed to bring up God unless our client brings it up. But I said, this dream could either be interpreted like this, and I gave him kind of a psychoanalytic interpretation, or it could be interpreted as a spiritual battle, and you're, you're being condemned. And it, um, next time, say, like, help me God, or help me Jesus, because there's only dark elements in your dream. There's no light. He goes, that's true. Now, he, I couldn't tell him as a person say, help me God, because then that would be telling him to believe in God. He'd be like, I don't believe that crap. But in his dreams, we can play with that because that's unconscious, and he doesn't think that's me. That's not me. That's my dream. So he can play with his dream. So we can play with it like a toy and see what happens. I said, I'm really curious to see what happens in your dream if you just say that. Just say that. You know, you don't even have to believe it. So we can just play with things like that and, and see what happens. Um, when was that? 
That was, that this, was this week. week. Um, oh, so we don't know the outcome yet. No. This is the toy you're playing with right now. Yeah. And you're, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there us, was a keep there us was, posted, please. Yeah. There was a lady that had uh, 14 years of sexual abuse, and she d described somatically a big black blob like of cancer just that was like sucking life out of her and just felt like she was carrying it around inside for so many years she drove by a sign um at church they it had, was halloween it had a jack-o-lantern it said like a jack-o-lantern has the candle inside it said get the light inside of you so she's like what does it mean get the light inside of you so i'm like well you saw that on a sign at a church why don't you call the church and ask them? She called and left a message to the pastor. What does it mean to get the light inside of you? Wow. Um, <laughs> nobody answered her call. I had to apologize for the church. Like, I'm so sorry. You're like a low-hanging fruit that somebody didn't pick. Uh, I said, do you, do you mind calling again or maybe call a different church and ask them? Because I can't say, call my pastor. You know, I'm not allowed to do that. So, um... Anyway, later, fast forward like five years later, she became a Christian and she has her testimony on a YouTube video and she goes to a local church, which she quit therapy after that, but she sent me this video saying, I've become a Christian and right before my husband died. Wow. Um, wow. Anyway, um, the thing about attachment is that we need, we need people, we need relationships. And um, rather than being like, we are a machine that needs to be fixed or an animal that needs to be tamed, we are a child that needs to be held. Mm -hmm. And if you notice at a wedding, that's the moment when the daughter gets handed over to the groom, mm -hmm. is when the dad, I just saw a wedding yesterday online, the dad releases her and gave his fatherly blessing and she's no longer his daughter as much as she is now her husband's wife. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, we are all God's children and then some of those developmental stages they've, in psychology are really interesting if you apply them to spirituality. Mm. You know, like the, the first stage of baby is trust versus mistrust. Mm -hmm. You can't go much, you can't build on things unless you get that. Then the next stage is, mm -hmm. are you gonna have autonomy and be, say, is it okay to be me? Mm -hmm. Or shame, it's not okay to be me. Yeah. The next stage is, is about guilt. You know, there, so if you successfully pass these stages, you grow. If you don't successfully pass these stages, mm -hmm. you get stuck. That's where you need healing. So we're going to be God's child. He's going to hold our hand through all these stages of development until he passes us off in heaven to be the bride of Jesus. Um, if you imagine, this is my creative project that I would love to do, is imagine the face of Jesus. And now imagine that as a female that looks exactly like him but different. You know how brother and sister can kind of look. So like the female face of Jesus. And then it's one of those posters that's made up of tons of little tiny photographs. And each photograph is a believer. Mm. And all the believers make the bride, and God hands us off to Christ. Oh, um, until then, we're either little kids of God or we're older kids of God, but we're always kids of God. That's so good. Right? Um, That's so good. I, I love your stories. They, they seem to kind of paint so much into, the, into this whole dialogue. Would you go back and share a little bit? You were so nice to share even like your own process with therapy with your ex-husband and how that kind of had shaped a lot of the trajectory of life. Can you just give us a little taste of what that process was like for you um, with how you process things versus even like what he was being led into in the whole process of therapy and so forth? Well, my husband was a five on the Enneagram. If you know that, it's like a, it's like a brain 
that's disconnected from feelings and body. So he had a hard time accessing his emotions. He had a hard time accessing his body. He would literally bump into the dining room table or hit his head on the chandelier because he didn't have spatial awareness of his body. That's a so, five thing. Five thing. Okay. Like, Disconnected head. Um, I go to uh, five in strength. Does that mean like when I start hitting things, I'm in a good space? No, then? that's an unhealthy okay. five. That's okay. an unintegrated five. So I thought he needs to Any get in touch with his okay, body sorry. a little more. So I gave him some ballroom dancing lessons for Christmas, and he loved it. Now, this is what one of the psychoanalytic thinkers would call a transformational object. He found a transformational object in dancing, meaning it was changing who he was. And then in combination with therapy, which was addressing his emotions, he was having his body and his emotions and becoming a new person. Mm. It was amazing to see. Mm. He started dressing differently, started taking care of himself differently, started listening to more music, being, having more emotions, stopped reading as many books. He used to read about uh, at least 100 books a year. Then he started becoming a more well-rounded person. But his therapist he chose was very well regarded in L.A., an analyst, but not a Christian. Looking back, uh, the first book she gave him was a Western by Larry McMurtry called Dwayne's Depressed. Now, I've never given this book to a client. I don't know why she gave this to him, but it's about a man who's having a midlife crisis and who finds himself depressed and decides to leave his wife and walks away from his wife and finds himself by wandering around the dusty roads of Texas. I'm like, why did she give him this book? But... Um, he was really enjoying dancing to the point where he ended up having an affair with the dance teacher, and he left me for her. And the therapist, I was getting really mad at her. Like, she's not, ugh, like, she's um, just encouraging him in that secular way. Like, just do what makes you happy. Well, like, what do you want? You know, what are you feeling? What do you need? And wasn't encouraging him, like, well, uh, you know, what about your covenant? She wasn't using Christian words. What about your covenant? What about your promise? What about your children? What about your family? He actually had gone to the La Cañada Church prayer garden, walked around and said, God, what should I do? Because he had fallen in love with this other person, but he still loved me. We'd been married 20 years. He said, I don't want to divorce you, but I don't want to let go of this woman either. And he asked God, what should I do? And he heard God say, you need to work it out with Suzanne. And then he said, I don't want to. Can't, can't argue with that. I don't want to. And he continued with that therapist for many years, and I thought, you know, she never challenged him on that. So I just felt like he had, some, he had a, too many people encouraging him on that side and not enough people encouraging, because I don't think we were going to a church at that time that um, he wasn't in, like, a men's group. He was dancing on Sundays even. It had become kind of an obsession where he was skipping church to do that. So he wasn't, didn't have a Christian accountability on mm -hmm. that side. Yeah. So I've had to accept yeah. that, but I thought, well, there's like a bad role of therapy and just kind of encouraging people to do what they feel like mm -hmm. and do what they want instead of holding them to a higher... So you, know, you would even say that good therapy is actually sound kingdom, meaning like this yeah. is not a sound kingdom way of advising someone, regardless of your understanding on identity. It's just even, even there's, there's, there's arguments from the way of the world that that's not a sound way to help someone make a decision. Would you kind of make that argument? Like you were saying, you're not your emotions. Yeah. You're not your desires. You're, you're, more than, you're, the sum, you're more than what you eat or what you think or what you have, even what you believe, what you feel, what you want. You're more than all that. You are, mm -hmm. you are a cohesive self. So what I like about this multiplicity of selves idea is that... Um, the guy that wrote this book, he's actually a Jew. It's called Standing in the Spaces, which I thought was a really great title. Um, 
you stand in the spaces between all your different selves and you don't uh, disqualify or disconnect any of them. You try to hold them together. Mm-hmm. And so I think Jesus is the, there's a, there's a molecule in the human body in this Lou Giglio video that goes into the body. Mm-hmm. There's a molecule that literally holds our cells together. Mm-hmm. And it's called li- linamin. Lin- mm-hmm. Do you know that one? What? Laminin. Laminin. Yeah, laminin holds our body together. Um, and then he, he zooms into the cell, and it's in. I have it on my phone. <laughs> i got to show you this. Um, this, this is the molecular structure of laminin. Zoom in. Zoom in the camera. Can you see that? Yeah, that's awesome. It's in the shape of a cross. This is the molecular structure. Isn't that cool? So this holds our body together. And I think um, standing in the spaces means the thing, the ligaments, the laminin that holds us together, mm-hmm. um, bind it to bind or to tie. And interestingly, that kind of refers to like attachment is a bond, things that bind you, that tie you together so you don't all fly apart. We, you know, this universe would fly apart if it weren't for like the gravity of black holes keeping it in place. And then Lou Giglio zooms in from the human body and then he zooms out to the cosmos and he goes to this mega massive black hole because the gravity antimatter of black holes sucking in is like what's keeping the universe from just like exploding Um, in the center of that black hole was a white starry constellation shaped like a cross it was so cool so like cross on the macro scale cross on the micro scale jesus holding our mind together jesus holding our church together jesus holding our world together that accounts for all the differences in the pieces. We don't have to get rid of pieces. We have to integrate pieces. So, yeah. That's really good. Clap for that. Sue's going to ask a question on the, um, we've been talking a lot about created meaning and discovered meaning. Why don't you ask that question we had? I never finished answering your question. That's all right. Oh, so after my husband left me, it was like either that could destroy me and for a while, it was really hard. Or God can actually set me on higher ground than I was before, which is that I went to SSM. I made all new friends. I've ended up in this church. I've gone to Nepal to meet Ashley. I bought my first car by myself. I bought my first house by myself. I never thought I could support myself. Now I make like twice as much money as I did when I was married. I... Um, my daughters are in a good place. I got, we got them through college. Um, I'm, I'm surrounded by, I've learned of identity in a different way. Like all the churches I went to before, it's like how to be a good Christian. You have a quiet time, you tithe, you know, you give to missionaries, you, um, you join a Bible study. But I learned through SSM and Frontier, like how to be a Christian is to be a daughter of God. Like hang on. The difference is we have the Holy Spirit, not that we do these different things, because um, people can do those things without having the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, I learned my whole new identity. I feel like my life is actually in a better place that in many ways than it was before. That's amazing. Um, so, he restores yeah. more than before. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're tapping into even how, yes, can we just give her a hand? Yeah. It's amazing. Because who's sitting here? is a strong, resilient daughter of God. Not a woman that's been broken by life. Not that life yeah. didn't happen, because it yeah. very much happened to you. Yeah. But it was almost like you looked at life in the face. You're like, can I 
be defined by that or is God going to define me and my father in heaven and I'm going to be his daughter? Yeah, I can't be defined by my marital status because I never thought I'd be saying I am divorced. I never thought that would be part of my narrative. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't think, you know, I am like I am I am this or I am that, you know, that's a little too limiting to the wholeness of, of who you are because ultimately we are spirit and yes. we can move through life and take different forms, even from the form of a baby to the form of an old man. We change a lot physically, we change a lot emotionally, we change a lot spiritually, but we have the spirit of God inside of us, which is yeah. the river that never, that um, the river changes, but it doesn't change. It's always changing, but it's never changing at the same time. So, yeah. right. I feel yeah. like mm -hmm. for you, it was almost like the darkest night happened, but you're the, sh sh you're the stars shine the brightest. Mm -hmm. So if you're that spirit, that star, it was like the darkest night of the soul happened, but then you became the most beautiful version of your true self with full integration and everything, which is amazing. But um, yes, as Christian said, we wanted to speak into authentic self. So, so often we hear in culture, there's different ways where people define self. They'll define it like you're being your true self or your authentic mm -hmm. self or your false self. And we've been talking, if you've been part of the focus groups, yay for you, um, but about the concept of created meaning where people create meaning for themselves or they discover meaning. They discover who God already says they are. And so when someone asks, how do I be my authentic self? Say you're in a therapy session and someone asked you that. What are you hearing them really asking? And how do you explain the variables that are really going on? So if I was like, how do I be my authentic self, Suzanne? What am I actually asking? And then how would you coach them? Um, what I how hear is I coach them through it. I was talking to Christian about, do you guys know that story about um, somebody asked Michelangelo, how did he sculpt the David? And he just said, I just had to free him from the rock. Yes. You know, it's like he was in there just where things were on him. So when I hear, you know, it, the false self, true self has come through psychology and also it's in spirituality now. Like even um, Brendan Manning wrote about it in Abba's Child book. Um, I think it has to do with like, are people repressing or suppressing certain aspects of themselves that maybe were not acceptable in their family of origin? Like you're taught not to cry you're taught not to be angry, or if you make noise, people say, shh, be quiet, or if you're creative, they're like, don't go out of the lines, or you can't wear that outfit, or, you know, just as, as silly as it might be, there's things that get cut off in our, I mean, children are the best at having just their natural, full, spontaneous expression. I love watching them dance and throw these little, like, handkerchiefs around up here. They're very unselfconscious. The problem is we get an idea of, like, this is me, and this is not me, but then why can that not be me too? Like, why can't I do that? Like, people, as silly as even saying, um, I was using this example, as silly as even saying in a store, like if a girlfriend goes, oh, this would look good on you, and you're like, no, that's not me. I wouldn't wear that. Why not? It's just a shirt. Like, does, is that really you or not you to wear a shirt? Like, why can't you wear any shirt in the world, right? So the full me, the authentic me is probably like Jesus. He, he didn't define himself as having a certain personality, like that's me or not me. Sometimes he went toward people. Sometimes he went away from people. Sometimes he went against people. Sometimes he was justice-oriented and angry. Sometimes he was compassionate and healing. Sometimes he's just kicking back and enjoying some wine at a wedding and laughing. Sometimes he's going away by himself, 
to pray with the Father. Um, Sometimes he's teaching. So he can utilize all the different thoughts, feelings, behavioral strategies, like um, exemplified by all the different personality traits, all the different numbers on the Enneagram. He can be all of them at any given time because he is tuned in with the Father, saying, do this, do that, go there, don't go there. Um, He doesn't ever say, oh, that's not me. He just says, that's not what my Father's telling me to do right now. Or... Um, He doesn't define himself except as being in communion with the Father. So when we say, like, this is me, that can be limiting. I think true true self is being in touch with that uh, thinking, feeling, and the intuition in our body of what is God asking us or telling us to do right now, and then asking him for the courage to do it if it feels like that's not me. Oh, that's not me to go to India. Why not? What kind of me goes to India, right? Say that again. Mm-hmm. So being your true self is integrating the thinking. Thinking, feeling, and behavioral. Just, it doesn't get locked into just one pattern of that's not me or that's me. It's like I do whatever God puts on my heart to think, to feel, to say, to act. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Not without a filter. but When we were chatting, yeah, filter is key. Thank you, God, for filters. Yeah. Uh, when we were chatting earlier, you had mentioned the difference between uh, personality and maybe personhood as some terminology. How yeah. would you differentiate that right, related to what you just said? Right. So you guys, on your video at the third session, you said hypocrite is a word for mask. Yes. Um, persona in Greek means mask. Mm. Um, putting on a mask. It doesn't mean trying to f- deceive people. It, does, it, it can mean more like who I think I have to be in order to get X. Uh, It's very unconscious. We put these on in our childhood. That's where our personality is formed in childhood. I have to be X. I have to be loving, or I have to be successful, or I have to be quiet, or I have to be creative, or I have to be pretty, or I have to be smart, or I have to be strong, in order to be whatever, loved, accepted, approved of, admired, belonging in this family. So then you start to identify yourself with those things. So someone who's extremely identified with being successful might not try things that they don't know how to do or that they feel that they might fail at, even though every great person in the history of the world has had failure and learned from it, and that's how they got great, is by multiple failures. If you don't allow yourself to fail, you're actually limiting your growth. If you you have to be beautiful in order to get attention, then hard news for you when you're getting older and getting wrinkles and gray hair. Like, that's going to be a real death to your ego, right? If you put your identity in that. Um, So so the personality personality is a mask. Like, I have to be this in order to get this. Um, So personhood is just the fullness of being able to be or do or think or feel or act in any way that doesn't have a constraint to it. It has freedom. Where there's the Lord, there is freedom. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. really good. So you gave this great example when you were, uh, you, you kind of did a little sabbatical and went over to Israel, and then you yeah. took a class, like a Torah school, you said, in Jerusalem. Would you share that story? Yeah, there's a really cool school called Aish HaTorah in Jerusalem that is well-funded by the Jewish community to be a teaching place for tourists and local. Um, it's, I was the only American tourist in the class, but it's mostly like um, visiting and local Jewish people and scholars from rabbis from around the world. 
So I went to several of the classes there, which was just really fascinating in Jewish thought. I took a class on Genesis and on the end times and on feminism. And then this one guy going, um, I went to a, this one rabbi saying, I went to an international conference, and I can't believe these Christian scholars, they don't know their Hebrew. You know, they, they misinterpret in the passage where God is speaking in the burning bush where he says, what, what's your name? And then he says, I am who I am. And that's what we always say. I am who I am. Or I am that I am. He goes, they got the verb tense wrong. I don't, can't believe everybody's agreeing on the wrong thing. It's I will be who I will be. Wow. Because that's A, it's an ongoing verb. And B, it can never be predicted. Wow. So even though we need to identify patterns and personality to think that it helps us understand people, to see patterns, oh, that's like what Ashley does, or that's like what, what Max is. But actually, that is limiting because you can't, I am presumes that you could know somebody. Oh, yeah, I know Joe. He's like this and this and this. But I will be who I will be means you can't predict me. I'm always doing something new. I'm always doing something different. I'm always doing something that you've never seen before. And you will never fully know me because I'm always changing. And in Hebrews, it says... Jesus has the power of the indestructible life, and he's constantly expanding the universe. Mm. That's universe, again, Lou Giglio, universe big term, and the universe inside our mind. We are, we are infinite creatures, and he can always do something new. And people can never fully know us either. Like, we're always changing and evolving as well. So I will be who I will be, and that, don't put me in a box. Totally. Babe, did you hear that? It, yeah, I heard that. can't predict me. I will be who uh, I will be. <laughs> I don't know if that was the context Suzanne was referring to. Oh, that is absolutely. <laughs> I just, the, uh, going, I going back that to, to myself, I've created meaning. I going back be. to that analogy of the sheep where you balanced out my stupid sheep with the reality that like, that's held in tension with the fact that we are actually made in his image and we're the most brilliant and the only, the only created order that can actually carry an eternal spirit and so forth, right? Um, at the same time, we have a God that is, I will be who I will be, who is always changing, and yet he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you can trust me, that I'm always a loving God, and you don't have to think I'm a loving God that sacrifices for you and wants you, and you can trust now, and I'm going to beat you with a stick here, right? So, so that, that sense of I will be who I will be is actually more about... I want you to walk with me and I want to walk with you. And for you to have intimacy with me requires you not to just think because of one encounter that, that you now know me forever and you can put me in that box. You actually have to continue to walk with me and let me walk with you. And, and that was ultimately like the cry of all the forefathers of, of the faith, Moses, so forth. He had, he said, let me know that you're with me. It's the only way I can do this is a continual knowing that he's with me, right? And his presence is one where it's, it's continual because like a one-off encounter doesn't, doesn't fix it, right? Um, so Can I speak to that? Yeah, please. So Krista was addressing disappointment. In that song, it says, you're never going to let me down. I just want to like talk about that. You're never going to let me down. Um, every good parent disappoints their child. You have to. You have to disappoint somebody for them to grow up mature. You cannot spoil a child and give them everything they want. So um, healthy level of disappointment. There's also traumatic level of disappointment, which is like, I'm breaking my relationship with you and I don't trust you anymore. But it's not that you're never going to let me down, like, God, you're never going to disappoint me. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this room, God has disappointed us by not answering a prayer, mm -hmm. by not showing up when we thought, you know, in a way that he needed, we needed him to. It's more like, I'm never going to let you down, like that attachment thing, like I'm holding you. Wow. 
Like the shepherd is actually holding the sheep when it breaks its leg, right? I'm holding the baby. I'm never going to drop you. I'm never going to say, you know what? I've had enough of that. I'm going to drop. I'm never going to drop you. It's more like I'm never going to let you down from my embrace. But yes, I will disappoint you. I think it's a, it's a momentary thing versus a permanent stance of, of holding you. So I want to land this because we want to respond. If actually the, the worship team could start coming up, we're going to share one other kind of example and then, and then pray over us. But um, you, when we were chatting, there was this analogy that kind of came out of the umbilical cord, right? Um, where where you, had, you said something to the effect of, of how when, we, when our identity is being a child of God, that is distinct from the rest of, of humanity that still is made in God's image and has the ability to, to have dreams and to have God exchange with them and for them to pick up on, on their designer and creator. And at the same time, they have not been adopted. They have, they have not come into the family. And so there, there's often, even when, whether we're doing therapy professionally or just navigating life in our own wholeness to become like Christ, we, we have access like an umbilical cord to the source by the Spirit. And, and those outside the family don't, right? And going back to that dream with the guy, they, he still has a certain level of like access to, the, to, to exchange in his spirit, right? Can you just speak into to that invitation to us today to be reminded that we've got that umbilical cord and just as a, as a I mean, as a, as a daughter, as a saint, um, but also as a professional, what's the invitation that you would like us to pull from that reality, having that umbilical cord attachment, that advantage, that forever place of access to, to God? Just encourage us with that. Um, I think I like that title of the book, Standing in the Spaces, because it, it makes me think of the lignin that holds everything together, but also makes me think of the, the word intercession. To intercede is to stand in the space in between. Jesus is always interceding for all of us all the time, including all the non-believers. So he's always standing in the spaces for us. But it's so powerful when we turn to him, and then it becomes a moment of meeting. Like he's always, always for us. But then when we are responding to that, like you know when you have a newborn baby, you love them from the moment they're born. But when they look at you and smile and giggle at your voice and there's that actual interaction, it's so sweet when that's reciprocated. Like Mm -hmm. he's interceding for us and then for us to say, like give him the worship, um, like we were talking about on this side of heaven. Give him the faith, give him the worship. And... um, be the recipient of his prayers and give him the prayers. That's different than just being someone who's out there in the world that doesn't know that God is constantly interceding for them. So there's a way we can turn. And it like, you know, when you're in love with someone, but they're not in love with you, that's totally different than when two people are in love with each other. So it's just that magnified power of like um, being in the spirit together and being in love, I guess. Yeah. That's a beautiful picture. as we close, why don't we all stand? And I just want to invite us to, to just have, as we pray over one another, yeah, just invite you to stand, close your eyes. You can just get in a state of receiving, whether you put your hand on your heart or just out in front of you. And Father, we just, we just ask that you would remind our spirits that you are a good shepherd. When you say, I am, 
I will be who I will be. And you can trust this. I will lead you to safety. You can trust me. You remind us that you lay down your life for us. You lead us into a life of laying our lives down because you first laid down your life for us and you name us, you call us by name. We have a name first and foremost because we have a father that has chosen us, that has approached us, that's laid down his life for us, that knows us intimately and invites us to know him intimately. And just as the father knows me, Christ shows us, this is my relationship with the Father. Come and take part. And so just three things as we pray for our own lives today. We pray for discernment. And just as you're sitting there, just, just receive and declare in your own heart that I was, I was born to discern my flesh from my spirit, my personality from my persona. Who I am and who he is. And who I am is still in part because the fullness of who I am is the picture of Christ. Christ is the fullness of my identity. And everything that I am lacking is found in him. He's actually made it available. And so I don't have to limit myself by my personality, by my wants and my desires that will always let me down, that will always fail me, that are incomplete, that conflict, that I have one thing I love here, one thing I love there, and I can't love them both at the same time. Those elements we just, we just bring to you and say, first and foremost, as sons and daughters, we receive our adoption again. Secondly, we embrace you. We embrace our unique personalities and our unchanging identities. And that we're in your family. And finally, we remember. We remember that we have access to your spirit. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for that umbilical cord that never gets cut. That gives us continual access to your voice, to your throne room, to the courts of heaven. And that you are longing for a world through its dreams, through its cravings, through its loves, through its wants that are desperately seeking for you. Give us the wisdom, give us the creativity, give us the boldness to embrace the world and invite them into the family. Thank you, Father. And as we close, just invite ministry team that are available to come up. They'd love to join you in prayer. If there is someone just around you today that, that, that you met even before service or you've interacted with, we believe that this is not performance and that every single person here is empowered with the same Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to encourage each other today. If, if something is on your heart to share or to bless someone with, uh, don't leave today until you encourage them with it. And if you need just an added strength and out of encouragement, or just healing in any way, shape, or form, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Come up and get some prayer. And what we like to call what we do after service is we linger. We linger with the Holy Spirit till, till he's done. But we're officially done, and don't forget to get your kids. This team will lead us in another song. But don't rush off. Feel free to hang out and enjoy the rest of the Sunday. And we will see you throughout the week. We love you.